Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help writers of all genres incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. Sitting across the interrogation room from me today is acclaimed author and journalist, Luke Jennings. Uh, Luke has written for The Observer, Vanity Fair, The New Yorker, and Time. He's the author of Blood Knots, which was shortlisted for the Samuel Johnson and uh, William Hill Prizes, and the Booker Prize-nominated Atlantic. With his daughter, Laura, he wrote the teenage stage school novels, Stars, and Stars Stealing the Show. Luke's latest publications are Killing Eve, codenamed Villanelle, the basis for a hit TV show story, Jody Corner and Sandra Oh, and the second title in the trilogy, Killing Eve, No Tomorrow. The novels follow the thrilling, obsessive duel between Villanelle, an elite female assassin, and Eve Pilastri, the MI6 agent tasked with bringing her down. Luke, welcome to Writers on the Beat. Thank you so much for making time to join me today. Hi, Gavin. It's a great pleasure to be here. Now, at, at the risk of, of going total fanboy on you, I am really engrossed in these books. And, um, you know, most of our, our show on this podcast focuses on, you know, things like writing and craft and research and authenticity. And I am really immediately impressed with these books. You've done a fantastic bang up job with them. Well, thank you very much indeed. That's, that's great to hear that you enjoy it. Now, I, I should also confess, I, I've never seen the show, so my only introduction to you has been just recently with these books, and, right. um, you know, I, I'm almost, I, I'm afraid to watch the show now because the books are too good. Um, I, I hope that's not too offensive. <laughs> no, well, um, I think the the books and the show, um, they go together very well. They they occupy the same universe without without telling exactly the same stories. So, sure. um, so I, I'm very happy with the way that the show is going. Now, when uh, my so I, I have a, a a series that I write about some assassin priests, mm -hmm. and I I did you know obviously some some research on that. I've never been an assassin, never been a priest. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have a whole lot of experience in my professional and personal background as a cop that really lent itself very well to creating this, this world, this universe, and, and the training, um, the mm -hmm. things that they would need to know. How, how did you go about your research process for creating this character in the background that allowed her the, the skill set to be uh, an effective assassin? Well, I do know some security services people that I've mm -hmm. been in contact with over the years as a journalist. So there were people I could talk to about the actual functioning of the security services. And a lot of it was straightforward imagination. I mean, with Villanelle's hits, mm -hmm. I would set myself the task of, of saying, you know, she's smart, she's resourceful. How is she going to do this? Mm -hmm. And more importantly, how is she going to do this and get away with it? What's yes what is likely to be what are likely to be the dangers how is she going to get away what's her exit route um how is she going to not leave um not leave traces behind her so in a sense by you set yourself a problem and you have to solve it and i like to set her problems where she can 
she can perform with style, you know. Um, mm -hmm. these, these, are, these are not <laughs> banal hits. She is, um, you know, these, these are Baroque, florid exhibitions of, um, of psychosis as well as hits. And so, so she, she likes a bit of a, a, a stagey setup. So I, I would always try and, and give her that while at the same time getting her away so she was safe afterwards. Now, I, I've talked about this in, to a few different authors. I personally, I would absolutely love to write a strong, flawed, three-dimensional female protagonist that's the, the main character of, of my series. I am terrified that I'm going to write a female that women are going to read and instantly know a man wrote it and lose all kinds of authenticity. How, how did you go about crafting... Uh, crafting Eve in such a way that that she's believable to everybody. I don't know, really. I'm I'm honestly not sure what that what that process consists of. I think it's it's a lot of thinking time before you start to write. Um, I would, I knew what she wore. I knew where she would go in London, the sort of shops she would go to, the sort of people that she would know, the kind of stuff she would have in the kitchen. Um, you know, it's a layer by layer. You put kind of layers of, of pearl on the grit of sand. You know what I mean? Certainly. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of incremental process. And there comes a point where you feel you know this person and they're ready and whether they're male or female old or young it doesn't really make a difference if you can sort of feel them in the room with you then you're ready to go i mean i think it's probably different for absolutely everybody but um certainly i didn't think well i've got to i've got to translate her into femininity so to speak mm -hmm. or womanhood um i just sort of i just kept thinking about her and in given situations what would she do how would she behave um what's her background what how does she get on with the people that she works with and i think the the when when and if you see the tv show you'll see that she has um she lives in her world well and i think you have to do that you have to create a character and the characters around them and the the stuff that's on the door of their fridge and you know all of this stuff um and if you if you can kind of I don't know, walk into a shop and say, well, that would suit Eve or, um, I, you know, I can just see Villanelle kind of that event appealing to her or that sort of, that's the kind of flat she would live in. That's the kind of car she would drive. Um, that's the kind of man she would hate, you know? Um, so I, I don't know how, uh, how people do it. And I don't know whether I do it the same or differently from other people. Um, I just know that at a given point, I find the voice and the person and, and, and off I go. Now, with writing her and, and her, her psychological deficiencies or predilections or illness, however you, you have thought of it or prefer to think of it, do, do you think that that made it easier or harder for you to, to write her and 
and put yourself in her shoes as, as the author. A Villanelle, do you mean? Yes, you? yes. Sorry, Villanelle. Well, the, the thing with Villanelle is um, hopefully people are asking themselves, would she have been like she is if she hadn't had that background mm -hmm. or or was was she born bad from day one um so she does have a tough but historically believable background there, yes. there were load loads of mm -hmm. um post-soviet kids who grew up in the most unbelievably bleak circumstances especially in those second tier cities and the the absence of one or other parent and a father who is constantly go to campaigns in you know Dagestan really horrible really horrible fighting um, he would have been a very brutalized guy he was the only parent she had so I want people to ask the question did circumstances make her or was she born like that and also how bad can she be before we we stop <laughs> slightly one worrying about her and caring for her mm -hmm. which um, which hopefully we do you know um, we, we, we like to see her do what she does well yeah you know the so far I mean the the list of the list of folks that she's been uh, that have become her targets, right? You know, are the least appealing portions of society. You know, for for me personally, I, I hope she never gets caught. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. You know, that's kind of where where I guess my moral compass is. But um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, with with characters that are are this um, this far at the end of the spectrum, I, I think that you know it certainly does beg the question about you know. Uh, rough justice and the morality of, of vengeance and you know who's entitled to vengeance and it brings up a you know I think a very a very personal and intimate question for for people who you know take the time to not just read the words but really uh, kind of in, in, in intrinsically bring them in well one of the things I was wondering about when when I created the character and started writing the story is what is what is that does the, the psychopath have a have a function have a place in society and i read around this subject and in fact there is there are some theorists who think that we need the psychopaths for our evolutionary journey because they move things forward in, in a in a brutal way now I'm 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 not so sure that I completely go all the way with that theory, but yes. in the books, Constantine, he knows this, and so he says yes. constantly to Villanelle, "You are an instrument of destiny," because she she loves to see herself in these grandiose terms. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the department that she works for is just called housekeeping. <laughs> That's um yes that that is yeah. i mean she is just kind of offing the inconvenient yes. people just, just to clean yeah yeah um but she sees this as she sees herself as as having history at her fingertips and um and this is what constantine encourages in her this kind of florid grandiose 
fantastical picture of her own of her own purpose in all of this and so she's 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 quite happy with that because it absolutely does mesh with her psychopathy and in terms of her psychopathy that's been one of the things that's been really striking to me too and i i'm I, you know i'm certainly no you know psychologist psychiatrist i'm not an, an, an expert in that field but I have in my personal and professional life run into a lot of folks who are, you know, somewhere along that sociopath, psychopath um, reality. And you've done such a fantastic job of making her three-dimensionally authentic to those illnesses and to those behaviors. Um, and even the, there's one sense I've really, I, I marked it down when I was reading through this because I loved it so much. Um, the character's real name, uh, substitute but Villanelle had never felt the slightest need to be liked but it gave her profound satisfaction to be desired in that one sentence you told us so much about this character and about her personality and her failings as a uh, in, in human psychology and I I'm, I'm just really impressed with all that you've done and I have to imagine there was a lot of work that went into making that right well there's 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 good literature on the subject. Um, there's Robert Hare is the um, is the classic text, and I and I read what he had to say. And there's a very good book by John Ronson called The Psychopath Test, which yeah. looks at the fact that actually, as you said, a lot of the people that we encounter particularly in our professional lives, we, yes. do meet, we do meet these people and they are unbelievably destructive and, yes. and dangerous people. Um, and they, they cut through all the barriers and possibly make things happen that wouldn't happen otherwise, but they're not people to whom you want to get too close. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I think with, with Villanelle, the that the, she likes to be desired because by being desired you have control over somebody so she's keen on sex but sex as a way of control and manipulation and of ego enhancement it's not it's not a two-way thing with her and um and she's not really interested in people once they've submitted so she's a bit, but the difference being Eve, because in Eve she sees, in Eve she sees something, she recognizes that Eve has something that she is missing. And, and I think Eve also recognizes that Villanelle has something, there is some part of her that she would like to have. So they, there is a kind of fascination between them. I've also really enjoyed in, in reading through this the way that, you know, for people who are like me that are, you know, still studying the craft and, and, and writing and learning kind of as, as we're going along through this thing, um, there are a number uh, in, in, in just my humble and relatively novice opinion, there are a number of things that you do in this, these books that violate a lot of the conventions of the thriller genre that, you know, um, you well, know. I, I do. I do hope so. 
<laughs> okay, I was so hoping that wasn't going to be taken the wrong way. Um, but uh, you know, and how did how did you decide to 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 break a lot of these you know almost rules, uh, but, but certainly conventions uh, to to make this book different? Well, I've always I've always loved thrillers as a genre. I grew up. I mean, the first some of the the books that I read and reread as teens were Ian Fleming's James Bond books. So I'm, you know, I, I do love thrillers, but I have been feeling in recent years that the whole thing has got a bit stale and a bit gadget oriented and the, the kind of damaged male heroes, we're, we're, we've, we've heard a lot of the same stories. Um, you know, these, these guys with their kind of broken marriages and their alcohol habits and all the rest of it. It's kind of gotten a bit of a groove, but I thought it could be, I just thought there was room to look at it in a new way. And I mean, it's astonishing that people haven't really put pitched two women against each other in this way. I mean, I don't know of, I don't know of a, of a fiction series no. in which people have done that. I mean, there have been there have been loads of fantastic female cops and great female villains, but I mean, it just occurred to me that to have both would be to really see something exciting. Yeah, I, I spoke with uh, another cop author a couple months ago, um, Isabella Maldonado. Yeah, she's just um, just started. Well, she started writing a while ago, but she's just recently um, published her her first few works, and that was one of the things that she felt was really important to her was you know that she has a a female investigator who's pitted against a, a crime family, and um, it ends up in this next upcoming book that she's getting ready to release that very thing where the female detective is going to be. Um, primarily pitted against the the female heir of this crime family but you know that certainly hasn't been the theme of the whole the whole series um and i think that's definitely one of the things in, in reading yours that makes it so unique well i think there's there's been this thing for, for a long time that the thriller is a kind of male mm -hmm. reader has a male readership but less and less i think that that's the case um and I think opening it up, make, making the, the thriller genre a bigger, wider thing can only be, can only be good for, yes. for all of us, really. Now, when, in, in terms of your, your writing and, and your craft, um, when did you first want to start writing and, and when did you first realize you could write? Well, I've, I've always written, actually. Um, I mean, I... When I was uh, as a, as working as a journalist, people would kind of, you know, I would see colleagues and, they, and I'd say, you know, how's it going? And they'd be, they'd say, you know, grinding it out, etc. Mm -hmm. But I, I always did enjoy the business of, of interviewing people and writing it up and, um, and pushing, seeing if I could push people to, to reveal themselves. So I like the writing, but I did. I like the, I like the people bit too, um, and I think all, all of that helps when you when you write fiction, because as just 
possibly a tiny bit of all of those people that in an hour of talking to somebody, somebody might say something really unusual that occupies about five seconds of that interview. But that's the thing that you, you kind of take away from you. Some extraordinary thing they do or they've seen or they remember, and sooner or later that comes back. And, you, um, and I'm sure um, if you've been a cop, for example, that you're talking to people all the time. Yes. And you, you must hear the strangest stories. <laughs> and a lot of lies, but yes, strange stories. A yeah. lot of lies and, and some touching stories and yes. some horrendous stories. And, but I mean, the lies that people tell are revealing too, I'm sure. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, you know, the people in, uh, and that's one of the things that I think people um, make a mistake when they decide that they're, they've committed a crime and they, they submit to an interview or interrogation. Um, and decide that they're going to, you know, just lie their way out of this thing. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. lies are as informative as the truth. Um, mm. You know, and that's one of the things that people maybe don't realize is that, you know, I mean, you can't prove a negative, right? You can only prove a positive. So I can't prove that I did not murder that guy. I can only prove that I was somewhere else when the murder was committed. And mm. I'm incapable of having been there at the time it was done. But, you know, you can't prove where you weren't. I mean, that's, that's not a thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, that's actually probably the lies I've, I've heard over the years have probably been as, as, uh, useful or even more instructive than, than the truth a lot of the time. And have you ever been impressed by the fluency of a really good liar? Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Mm. You know, so the, the, the people who I've run into who, are somewhere along Villanelle's tangent that, mm -hmm. you know, they have some measure of sociopathy, psychology, they, they operate without remorse. Um, those are the most dangerous people I've ever met because they are fantastic con artists. They're fantastic liars. They're fantastic criminals. And all the things that we as human beings, not, not just, like cops who are, are trained in interview and interrogation because our training in my not so humble opinion is, is fairly inadequate for the weight, the burden of what we do, but all the things that are innately human about our interactions and our expectations of other people don't apply to these individuals. So sure. when I'm looking for somebody's body language, when I'm looking for those micro expressions, when I'm looking for that gut feeling that you know, um, is really, you know, my emotional brain responding to them. You, you don't get those things. And yeah. oftentimes it's only after they've left <laughs> or, or you have to prove everything by some corroboration, but you're like, you know, this is amazing. I have all this evidence that says they did it, but sitting in the room and talking to them, I absolutely believe their story. And, you know, there's, there's one woman that specifically sticks out that was um, part of a, a methamphetamine tracking, uh, sorry, methamphetamine trafficking ring. Sure. And she spun the most believable lie about how she was effectively a victim in this whole thing. And it was, you know, misunderstanding. And she thought she was doing a guy a favor. And on the face of it, if you didn't sit in the room with her and I told you what she said, you'd absolutely, no way. She's, she's absolutely lying. Sitting in there, listening to her, watching her, I, bought it hook, line and sinker for about 15 minutes. And 
you know, thankfully it, it, it worked out in the end, but yeah, I was, I was so impressed uh, <laughs> at the end of that of how well she pulled that off. But I mean, presumably part of her at the moment that she's telling you that story, part of her is, is also believing herself. Oh yeah. I, th I think that they've got to. Yeah. Mm, mm. You know, I think that's, you know, that's one of the th reasons that, you know, polygraphs will never be admissible in court here in the U S um, is that, yeah. you know, someone with these deficiencies, um, you know, they believe what they're saying wholeheartedly mm. um, and, or they at least have no remorse about the possibility of being caught. So, you know, it, it, it's not effective. It looks for emotion, right? So, mm. um, you know, it's, uh, these are, are very, very dangerous people when they get into your personal lives or into your bank accounts or into a, a relationship, worst of all. Yes, absolutely. Yes. No. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, they may, they make your hair stand up on end, but that's, yeah. that, that, that's why, that's why we're, so, I think we're so riveted by them. Yeah. They're fascinating. You know, how, how does somebody operate? How do they live as a human being in a social mm. environment and not care about society at all about anyone? Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, nature or nurture or a combination thereof. I mean, it's all, it's all up for debate, but you know, can you make someone this? Are people only born this way? I, and I think, you know, it's probably a little bit of both, but certainly the environment mm. doesn't help. Well, when I was, I, I was thinking about exactly what you've said, the way that these, that psychopaths feed off other people. Mm -hmm. So I was asking myself, what does Villanelle do when she's alone? And the answer is that she kind of sits in silence for a lot of the time because, you know, rather like a computer that's resting because there's nothing for her to, to feed on. And so she actually enters a kind of meditative state mm -hmm. um, wow. in which she, she is just inwardly focused and just thinking about the person that she loves most, you know, which is herself. Yeah. The, the only one. Yes. The only one, the, the only person who will ever really be faithful to her yes. and love her back, you know, so. The only uh, one she can trust. Yeah. The only one she can trust. Exactly. But oh. that's, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm trying to answer, ask the question, can Eve sort of get under those defenses? Why, you know, is she going to let Eve in? is Eve going to be persuaded in? Yeah, persuaded, so that, coerced, lured. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> so much potential. Uh, one, of the, one of the main themes of, of this show is that it only takes about a, uh, about a decade of, of real blood, sweat, and tears to become an overnight success. Um, what has your journey been like from aspiring or from writer to, you know, kind of aspiring novelist to, to the, the success that you're enjoying today? Well, I've been writing novels for on and off, you know, for quite a long time and mixing that in with journalism and every kind of writing. So in, in a way you kind of aim to, to make projects happen to, mm -hmm. and they go part of the way, you know, you, you sell the options to things, projects get developed and then they kind of grind to a halt. And a lot, a lot of this is, 
you know, it could be quite dispiriting. It's quite a, it's quite a tough, um, it's, it's quite a tough process. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, when you, it's, it's nice when you get success because it, it kind of backfills a lot of the failure. <laughs> yes. Um, and you do spend a lot of time developing projects, you know, for I don't know, 18 months or something. And then mm -hmm. sudden somebody just turns around and says, well, on reflection, no. And that's kind of the end of it. And that's, um, you've got very little back from that. So it's, uh, so, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a subsistence life. And so when, when, when something actually fires and works, as mm -hmm. I said, it, it kind of backfills the, the disasters a bit. So that's, um, so it's nice in that way. What's, what advice do you generally give to aspiring authors or, or writers who are trying to make this either a hobby or a living from writing and, you know, sell their own crime fiction, someone who's, who's just starting out today? Well, the thing I, I, I try and describe that situation where, say, you've got a three or four hour train or plane journey ahead of you and you're standing in front of the shelves and, you know, you've, you've, got, this, you've got this kind of free time in which you want to read something and you want it to be something really good. And I always find myself scanning the shelves at that point, mm -hmm. looking for something and you, I don't know exactly what I'm looking for, but I'll know it when I see it. Yes. And if it's not there, if you can't find it, that's the book that you should write. Wow. Does that make sense? That's a really fantastic explanation. Yeah. You know, I, I think there, there has to be a lot of, uh, a lot of common, you know, unspoken truth to that. I, I, several of the writers I've, I've spoken to, uh, specifically Simon Gervais comes to mind that, mm -hmm. you know, he started writing, only because he was reading so many thrillers on his plane rides uh, mm -hmm. while he was still with the uh, RCMP and, and decided that he could do a better job and write more authentic stories than the professionals. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think, uh, I think uh, probably a, a lot of us at some point have been inspired by that. I think, the, yeah, I think the idea of write the books you want to read Mm -hmm. we're, we're, that will, if you if you're true to that, that will keep you safe. Um, don't try and don't try and kind of double guess the market and do something that people suggest is a kind of super commercial, surefire thing. Because if if you want to read something, then other people will too. Not everybody, but certainly. Um, I think also those of us that, that, that love thrillers and, and, and cop stories and all the rest of it, it's a, we like certain, certain things are quite well trodden. The disruption of society that criminals cause and mm -hmm. the, the reassertion of, um, the, the, the reassertion of balance when, um, you know when when Hannibal Lecter is is put behind bars, etc. I mean, I think that's what we like, isn't it? That kind yes. of the the, the this, this the shake up and and the reassertion mm -hmm. of um, the reassertion of security. 
Uh, most uh, most creatives that I know are are not one trick ponies. Um, what what else do you do creatively besides writing? Um, honestly, at the moment, not much else. Um, I at the moment, pretty much all of all of my time is spent writing, but I do try and feed that with with research and with reading and with you know, getting out and talking to people because you know you can't you've got to get out of the house if you're going to if you're going to write um but at the moment i've got um i've got the third killing eve novel mm. to finish the final one in the trilogy and then i have another another one taking shape which um i'll be doing after that and um a couple of sort of possible TV TV projects ahead of that. So I'm kind of I, I'm 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 in that groove at the moment. You know, pretty much just writing. Now, since it's just you and me here, is there anything you'd like to tell us about the next Killing Eve, the trilogy? Um, <laughs> I think. That I'm going to keep that to myself. Okay, fair enough. I think so. Fair enough. We'll we'll but, we'll just have to wait for the release. Yeah, what one and two are out, and yes. um, they um, hopefully set up a sort of some quite unusual tensions. So um, so let's see where it goes. Now, what's uh, what is your favorite crime show or? Uh, fictional series, detective show, book, anything that, that you read in the, in the, I guess, the thriller investigations genre? Wow, that's difficult. Um, but the moment you, the moment you say that, I, I immediately um, blank on pretty much <laughs> all of them. Um, I do like, um, I must say, I do admire Thomas Harris. And I'm oh, really yeah. looking forward Incredible. to his to his new book. I mean, he is such a he is such a great practitioner of everything that makes um, that makes crime and thriller writing um, exciting. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm going to say him at the moment. He's he's so, the man. With uh, with that that answer in mind, I. I ask everyone who comes on the show this last question because it most because it's fun for me um but god forbid it should happen luke but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered yeah would you want villanelle eve pulaski or agent starling investigating your murder um i think i think it's going to have to be clarice i think eve would be should be distracted and um, I mean, I, th I think Villanelle would take immense pleasure from um, an artistic job. <laughs> but, uh, so yes. yeah, it's got it's got to be Clarice. Maybe Clarice and Villanelle could you know work in a task force, you know, with the investigation yeah. and the execution. It would work out well. I think they'd understand each other. Yes, definitely. Uh, where can listeners and readers connect with you and your works? Uh, maybe sign up for a newsletter, a blog, or just keep up on, on updates on your upcoming releases. Well, I got a website, LukeJennings.com, and um, the 
the, the, the news is quite straightforward that there, there will be a third Killing Eve and probably final. I, I don't want to be saying this is the fourth book in the trilogy. So, uh, <laughs> Fair enough, yes. Yeah. So that, that will be coming out um, end of the year, so maybe early next year. And so that's, uh, that's what's upcoming. Well, I, I would greatly in, enjoy the opportunity to have you back and, and continue this discussion. I've got so many more questions, uh, selfishly, that I would like to ask, but I, I want to be respectful of your time and, and thank you for joining us today. Gavin, it's been a huge pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks to my guest, author and journalist Luke Jennings, for joining me today. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.